Hey everyone, and welcome to the Compass Church Podcast. We are so glad that you've decided to join us for our series called Too Good to Be True. Today, we're going to be talking all about maybe you and I. If you were a follower of Jesus, you would fall into this category. You know, we're talking about the goodness of God and how can God be good. And today, we're going to be talking about how God can be good, and yet Christians can be hypocrites. Not an easy topic for us to dive into, but an important one. So let's hear more from our senior pastor, Jeff Griffin. Hey friends, welcome back to the Compass Church. And you're all looking at me saying, Jeff, you got your jersey on. I bet it's because you're so proud of our Chicago Bears. No, that's not why I've got it on. Our pitiful Bears have lost 13 games in a row. This last loss just about made me vomit. I'm not proud of them at all. No, I've got this jersey on for a different reason. And I wonder, wonder if you can guess what it is. Little clue? This baptismal, this baptismal tank we brought just a few weeks ago to Sheridan Correctional Center, Sheridan Prison. I need to backtrack, tell you how it all came about. It was like two years ago that Chaplain Leon at the prison contacted the Compass Church and said, hey, I want to provide church for the guys. And he said, anyway, you can help us. So we, for the last couple of years, have been providing through video church Every week to the prison with over 100 in attendance. It is so much fun. Well, Chaplain Leon contacted us and said, some of the guys have actually come to faith in Christ. Is there any way you could help us hold a baptism in the prison? Well, it took a while to gain the permission, but we brought this baptismal tank just a few weeks ago into the prison. And as opportunity for baptism was extended, 34 guys got baptized. I baptized 34 guys in a row. Uh, They're with us now. So a huge shout out to you guys. It was one of the greatest moments in my life. I, I wish you could have been there, friends, seeing this line, unending line, so it seemed, of men waiting to publicly testify to faith in Christ. We, I, I was getting like sore back from baptizing all these guys and we had to pause to put more water in the tank because the splashing was lowering the water level. It was amazing. And at times I almost feel guilty that I as a pastor get to participate in things like this when all along it's a team win, you know. You are our integral part of all the ministry wins that happen at the Compass Church. I'm thinking particularly about the financial backing. You do know that our whole church happens because of all of you who are so generous to God's ministry. And when you're generous, you're part of the win, an essential part of the win. I'm thinking of everybody who feels this calling within for your one life to count. I mean, to make a difference for eternity. God gave us all that longing. And others have sensed that not only do I have the longing, but I have the the call, meaning God has commanded us in the Bible to be generous to his initiatives. It turns out that every single Christian is supposed to steward or manage their money with an open hand saying, God, what would you want? And the Lord calls us to actually simplify our lifestyle so that we can be greatly generous, 10% towards the Lord's cause. 
And, and many, you know, they start with a bit, uh, bit regularly and they've come to that 10% mark and everything that happens in our church, including the 34 baptisms, you are an essential part of that win. So I say thanks to all of my generous friends at the Compass Church. Feel the thrill. You are a part of these great wins. It's time to turn back to our series called Too Good to Be True. This is week four in that series. Can't wait to dive in. And to do so, I'm going to grab a little shopping cart here. And I got to tell you of what happened 10 years ago. My son Jake was only six at the time. My wife Jennifer was at the TJ Maxx doing a little shopping, you know, and she checked something out, took her eye off of Jake, who stepped into the driving position here and was off. Jake had an obsession with trains, and as he took off, he shouted, Mom, I'm a train conductor, and boom, he was down the aisle, Jen chasing after him. Well, he went to make a sharp turn, didn't go so well. He crashed into a display of glass vases. No kidding. Kaboom! My wife said it sounded like a bomb went off as these shattered vases fell to the floor. In that moment, Jen confesses, and now I pass on her confession to you, that she was tempted to act like she didn't know the child. You know that's a benefit of adoption, is that we don't look like the kid. And you can just say, whose child was that? And uh, I would judge my wife for that inclination, except that I've had the same inclination myself. There was a time when I took my family to Five Guys in Naperville for lunch after church. Standing in line to order the food, Jake pulls out a light bulb. I'm like, buddy, where did you get that light bulb? It was a very specialty one. He goes, I found it in the garbage in the tech room at church. I'm like, Jake, Jake, Jake. And then as he's showing it to me, he fumbled it and it fell to the ground. Friends, that sounded like a gun going off in the restaurant. People were literally ducking. And in that moment, I was tempted to say, whose kid is he? This inclination to distance ourselves from our children when they act poorly, you know, it's all because how they act causes people to judge or reflect on us in connection to them. And the, th the same thing happens spiritually. Are you aware of that? When the Lord uh, calls his people to live an honorable life for his own reputation, you, you get it, don't you? When Christians behave badly... It makes God look bad. That's what we're, we're studying today. It's, it's all about how people reject the God of Christianity because of Christians they've seen, the hypocrisy they've seen. Friends, it's a real dynamic that we need to understand. So we're going to turn to the words of Jesus Christ who will help us understand how it can be that God's children act badly while he is still Stunningly good. Let's dive back into our series called Too Good to Be True. You 
You know, when my wife and I first started attending the Compass Church, she came to the conclusion that we needed to do a couple of things together. The very first thing that she said that we needed to do was serve together. So we jumped in, we decided to serve in our student ministry and we loved every second of it. It was one of those opportunities where we got to see each other in a completely different light, all because we were selflessly serving other people. You know, personally, I would love the same for you. Have you jumped into a team to serve on? Here at the Compass Church, that's one of our four priorities. We think people grow in their faith when they decide to serve in teams. So if you're at all interested in finding out more about serving opportunities at any of our campuses, go to thecompass.net slash serve. Let's jump back into our message with our senior pastor, Jeff. Friends, do you remember so far in this series, we've looked at how can God be good uh, in light of human suffering? And then last week we looked at how can God be good in, in light of his sexual prohibitions? And, and this week we're looking at how can God be good in light of Christian hypocrisy? I want to start by reading what Jesus said in Matthew 5.16. Christ said, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Did you catch that? Jesus says when, when the Christians, when our good deeds shine, when the beauty of our lives is noticeable to a watching world, they will praise God, the Heavenly Father. In other words, when his kids look good, God looks good, and people are drawn to God because of what they see in his kids. That's how it's supposed to work. And sometimes it does. You know, I'm sure many of you have met inspiring Christians who just make you interested in God more because of what you see in his believers. Many times the plan of Jesus works, but many times it doesn't. Sadly, Christian hypocrisy or Christians behaving badly gives God a black eye a lot. Just this week, I was talking with a guy and he said, yeah, my dad's not a believer because he knew a pastor who was a hypocrite. And he said, I want no part of Christianity. I talked with a, a woman who said, yeah, my, my sister's not a believer because my mom, who supposedly was this godly woman, had an affair. And that just, her sister said, you know what, if that's how Christians act, I'm out. You know, people will say, I've met Christians who are judgmental and arrogant, more holy than thou, and just turned me off. Friends, it's very prevalent today, this problem of Christian hypocrisy. In some cases, people are aware of historic examples of Christians representing the Lord so poorly. They'll go back to the Crusades. Are you aware of that? There was a day back in the Middle Ages when European Christians waged war in the Holy Lands against the Muslims and killed millions in the effort to reclaim the Holy Lands for the Lord. And it was just really sad. Or the Inquisition. You may have heard of that moment. In France, there were these Christian church leaders who had trials of heretics. And whole groups of believers were tried and executed as heretics because their belief system didn't line up with the official church well enough. 
So yeah, lots of historical examples as well. What do we do with this, friends? How do we justify, explain, understand Christians who are not reflecting the heart of God well? It's interesting. Jesus was the one who said, let your light shine beautifully so people praise God. The one who gave this vision of us representing the heart of God well, he also, Christ, that is, he also understood that this wasn't going to work perfectly. And when I look at the teaching of Jesus, in fact, we're going to spend our whole time here looking at the teaching of Jesus, we see three reasons he provides as to why Christians might not be representing God's heart well. And the first is this. The first is sometimes those who claim to be Christians, sometimes they're imposters. Yeah, I have props here. I'm going to use this mask we got Halloween coming, so uh, that creep you out. We're going to use the mask as a reminder that some Christians are imposters. They're, they're claiming to be Christians, but it ain't so. Jesus taught this in Matthew 7, verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you catch that? There will be some who say to Jesus, oh, Jesus is my Lord, And yet they're not really right with God. In fact, it'll be evidenced when they die and they don't end up in heaven. When when Christ said this, just a few, three verses earlier, he said this, watch out for false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are wolves. Have you heard the wolves in sheep's clothing? The, The idea is that they're trouble, but they've got a, mask on, a a costume of a sheep, and they're looking all innocent and cuddly, but the truth is they're not even on God's team. Christ goes on to say, by their fruit you will recognize them. Every good tree bears good fruit. So if someone claiming to be a Christian is not bearing fruit, in other words, they're not acting like a Christian, maybe the answer is They're not a Christian. Maybe they claim, oh, I'm a Christian, but the truth is they're not connected to the good tree, Jesus. If they were connected to the good tree, they'd be yielding good fruit. But as it is, they're not really saved. Friends, this is an explanation for some of the alleged hypocrisy. For example, I've I've heard of surveys, maybe you have too, where they'll do a survey of Christian morality versus those who aren't Christians. And they'll ask them, what religion are you? And the people check off Christian. And then they'll ask about their moral life and list a whole bunch of immoral activity. And the survey comes out to say, turns out Christians engage in immoral activity every bit as much as non-Christians. In some cases, the explanation is that these people who check Christian under the question of religion aren't actually Christians. You know, there's this thing called cultural Christianity. And that's just when you're raised in a culture that's predominantly Christian, many people will check Christian, even though they've never placed faith in Christ as Lord, meaning I'm going to follow you, and Savior, meaning I'm going to rest, depend on you to forgive my sin. If they were genuinely Christians, two things. One, Jesus would be Lord. They'd be following the leadership, the moral leadership of Jesus. And they'd have the spirit of God within empowering them to yield fruit. So in some cases, 
Uh, the reason Christians don't look different is we're not really looking at true Christians. With true Christians, there should be a difference. Now, that's, that's one reason is sometimes they're imposters. Here's the second. Sometimes they are patients. And by patients, I mean they're like a hospital patient. I have a hospital gown here, and uh, I'm going to leave that there just as a reminder that the church is a hospital. It specializes in sick people. Jesus spoke of this in uh, Matthew 9, verse 12 and 13. He said, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners, Christ is pointing to the fact that his ministry specializes in messed up people. If you're broken, if your life is a mess, come to Jesus. The church is a place for sinners. And you say, well, doesn't eventually their lives get cleaned up? Yeah, eventually. But when they first come, they're a mess. In fact, people who think I'm morally all put together they tend to not go to church because they think they're righteous. It's those who are desperate and in need of hope who come to Christ. And so as a result, sometimes the church looks messy because it's a hospital, because people are arriving seeking hope, but they've got a lot of dysfunction in their lives. This is part of the plan of Jesus. He said, I didn't come for those who are healthy or think they're healthy. I came for people who realize they're sick. I, I remember I was on a, uh, was the speaker actually at a, a Christian conference. It was a three-day out-of-town conference. And I thought, you know, I'm going to bring a buddy of mine. I had made a friend who was in my small group. He was a brand new Christian. And he had come to our church and come to Jesus because of the problems in his life. He was a mess. And one of his problems was alcohol. He was an alcohol addict, an alcoholic. But uh, at that stage in his early stages of Christian, Christian growth, he's like, you know, if I get this alcohol under control, if I can practice moderation, I don't need to stop drinking altogether, right? And, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's technically correct. Moderation is fine, but I don't know that you're capable of moderation. And he was like, let me try. Now, later on, he ended up dropping alcohol altogether. But at this early stage, he was trying to just cut back. Well, we're at this hotel, at this conference, and some of the pastors there pulled me aside. And they say, Jeff, we have to have a hard talk. And I'm like, All right. He goes, you know your buddy who you brought? We saw him at the bar drinking twice in one day. And I, I was like, wow. I wanted to say twice. That's pretty good. He's growing. I, I didn't say that. I just said, oh, well, thanks for letting me know. He's, he's a work in progress. And you know, that, that, that little story just kind of illustrates the fact that, yeah, there are going to be people at church who are struggling with much. We're a hospital. We attract broken people. And so how do we explain Christian hypocrisy? In some cases, it's because they're imposters. They're not really Christians. In other cases, they're a patient in the hospital of God. You know, they, they've got issues that are going to take time before there's healing. All right. Well, I got another one, one more. 
Jesus also says that sometimes we explain Christian hypocrisy by acknowledging that Christians are targets. Targets. What do, what do I mean by a target? I mean that Satan has a bullseye on their lives and is trying to tempt them and ruin them. Satan's a strategist. He knows if he can get moral compromise into influential Christians, they won't be influential anymore. And so let's read about that, shall we? Where did Christ teach this? Let's go to the hypocrisy of the Apostle Peter. Uh, Do you remember Peter back in Luke 22, verse 33? Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Peter, if you will, he's bragging of his level of devotion, saying no matter how hot the persecution gets, I'm not turning my back on you, Christ, no matter what. Talks a big game. But Jesus responds, Jesus answered, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And sure enough, that's exactly what Peter did. Here he had been boasting, I'm going to stick with you. I'll never turn my back on you. And then Jesus says, you're going to do it three times before the rooster crows. And Peter denied, when the pressure got on, Peter denied even knowing Jesus to this hostile group who was asking if he was a disciple. You say, how do you explain the great apostle Peter saying one thing but living the exact opposite? Well, to gain understanding, you have to look at what Jesus said about this very occurrence. In fact, backing up just a couple verses, right before uh, Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me, here's what Jesus said to him. Jesus said, verse 31, Peter... Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. We've got to talk about a few things here. Sifting like wheat. It turns out that the ancient harvesting strategy was you'd put this wheat, dirt, and chaff into a, a sifter, a container, uh, and you'd shake it violently, and all the dirt and uh, stuff would fall out, and the wheat would be purified. It was an image for, let's test this guy and see what he's made of. And Satan has asked God, Lord, I want at this Peter. Let's shake him up a bit and see what he's made of. Why is the the evil one having to ask the Lord to do this? It's kind of like in Job. You may recall there, God was protecting Job. And in order for Satan to test him, God had to allow it. So God has to allow it here. And the Lord does. The Lord says, all right, Satan, go ahead. Tempt Peter. Let's see how he does. He didn't do well. And friends, this is all pointing to what's happening in the unseen realm in the lives of Christians, particularly influential Christians. The evil strategist Satan goes at their weakness. He knows where their Achilles heel is and he will tempt and tempt and tempt trying to ruin their witness, trying to get them to morally compromise so that their influence will be extinguished. Now, is this point that influential Christians are targeted, is this a justification for their failure? No. The Bible says that we have been given power with God's Spirit to resist temptation, to stand up against the attacks of the evil one. 
though it's not a justification for failure, it does help us understand a little how it is that Christians can sometimes blow it so badly, even when they love the Lord. We're in a battle, friends, and we all are struggling with sin and temptation. And sometimes Christians fail to represent his heart, but they fall morally. And the temptation of the evil one doesn't justify it, but it does help us understand how it can happen. All right, do you see what Jesus has done? He has set up the principle For the most part, Christians should shine like a light in the darkness with the very beauty of God's heart so that people are drawn to God because they see a little bit of God reflected in believers and they worship the Lord because of the goodness of his people. That's the principle that's supposed to work. And many times it does. Sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, how do we explain Christians behaving badly? Sometimes they're an imposter. They're not really Christians at all. Sometimes they're a patient. That's, uh, they're still a work in progress. They've come to the Lord because of their brokenness and sin. And sometimes they're a target. Satan's after them, and maybe he's gained a victory in getting them to succumb to temptation. And so, good plan, Lord. Christians shining with the beauty of God's heart. Many times it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But even, even when Christians are victorious and they're living a beautiful life and reflecting part of God's heart. They're never reflecting all of God's heart. No matter how beautiful a Christian may be, God's goodness is even higher. You know, one of the uh, examples of this is a guy in my small group. I, I have a friend in my men's small group. He is the best dad. In fact, all the other dads, we kind of joke that our poor kids got stuck with us and compared to him. I mean, it's amazing. He makes furniture and presents them handmade gifts for his kids. He coaches their ball teams. He plays with them. He reads to them. He hugs them. He loves them with words of affirmation and He's just a fantastic dad. And I got thinking, I'm like, you know, his kids will be able to imagine a heavenly father that's good. They'll imagine it and know it to be true in part because their earthly father is so good. But even though that earthly father is so good, he falls short of the heavenly father. Jesus taught this. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 11, if you guys, you earthly fathers, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? No matter how good an example an earthly father may be, the heavenly father is so much more. Friends, that's incredible. Our God is so good that even when Christians are a good reflection of his heart, they're insufficient to fully reflect the goodness of his heart. Another way to say it is, no matter how good you imagine God to be, your perception falls short of reality. Don't go for it. Don't. Some worry, I hope I don't envision God to be better than he actually is. That's impossible. The love of God exceeds the best fatherly love this a human has ever demonstrated. The joy in us of the Heavenly Father, the hugs, the whispers, the help, 
oh, our heavenly father is so good. Don't let any failure of his children or perceived children cause you to doubt the stunning beauty of the heart of God for you. That's the truth. Let's pray together, shall we? God, I pray that none of us would be dragged down in our perception of your goodness because we know some Christians who are behaving badly. Help us know that you are amazing even when your kids are far less than amazing at times. I guess another prayer would be, help us to represent you well to others, Lord. Help us grow in Christ-likeness so others see us and wonder if what they're seeing is a bit of your heart displayed in our lives. Please, God, take our learning and help us and help others understand you're the best thing going. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Before you take off, please, just a couple of quick things. First off, thank you to all of you who partner with us financially here at the Compass Church. You know, there are thousands of giving households associated with our church, my wife and I included, and I would love for you to be joining in to that mission as well. We want people to find and follow God, and we understand the sacrifice that that takes. If you're interested in partnering with us in that way, you can do so at any point by going to thecompass.net slash give. And one last thing, fill out that online connection card so we know that you've been here and how we as a staff can be praying for you over the course of the coming week. Looking forward to next week where we are going to continue talking about too good to be true. And we'll do that here at the Compass Church Podcast.